Hello and welcome to episode 20 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray in charge of recording as we prepare to dive into a myriad of issues swirling around the golf world. There never seems to be a dull moment, does there? in this crazy game. Among the laundry list of topics to tackle this week, the festering saw that is the Premier Golf League, the remarkable no-laying-up interview with Peter Costas, which confirmed an awful lot of things that many of us have thought for a long time, golf course rankings and their place in the game, plus a stunning performance by amateur golfer Steph Kiriakou, who walloped a field of ladies' European Tour professionals by eight shots at Bonville at the weekend. I was there for that and followed most of the round, and I can tell you it was impressive. I'm sure there'll be plenty of other bits and pieces bob up as we go, because there's always always is when our special guest is Mike Clayton. I'll bring both he and regular co-host Adrian Logue into the discussion in just... A moment. In the meantime, though, a combined listener feedback and sponsor promotion opportunity. Yes, I can see your brow furrowing there, Logue, as it should. Uh, it's presented itself. I can't possibly turn my back on it. I got a Twitter message during the week from a regular listener. You haven't run this by me, but no, of I course hope. I haven't, on yeah, because I want to see your reaction. Because your reaction <laughs> is the listener's reaction. Okay, okay. All right. let's Late call the listener Ben. I think you know him. That's his name. Uh, yeah, I think he's a member at Royal Canberra. Okay. Yeah, yeah you yeah, know yeah. Ben? Yep, yep. Uh, more to the point, Ben got in touch to tell me, and I quote, Hi, Rod. Thanks for the plug for the Golf Society. I just spent a couple of hundred, but was very happy with the TG discount. Excellent. So, good on you, Ben. Okay. Be like Ben. What's Ben talking about? Well, there's our network sponsor, as people know, is thegolfsociety.com.au. They sell their... High-end apparel and all that good stuff. They've got their end-of-season sale at the moment. Big discounts off all their top-quality apparel, shoes, and accessories. But here's the kicker. Talking golf listeners get a further 30% off the sale price. Does that make sense? Yes. So it's from from 200 down to 100. Take 30% off the 100. That's pretty good. Uh, Not talking the cheap stuff here, obviously. Ralph Lauren, Travis Matthew, Hugo Boss, Nike, Adidas, G4. It's all the good gear. Hard to imagine that you could get better value than that. How do you do it? Pretty simple. Go to thegolfsociety.com.au. Select all the items that you want. When you get to the checkout, just put in the promo code TG. T for talking, G for golf, uh, which we all know has only one G. Uh, So that's pretty good. Be like Ben. Head to thegolfsociety.com.au. Won't be surprised to know that there's a link in the show notes. While you're browsing the Golf Society website and saving thousands, tune into one of our other excellent Talking Golf Network podcasts. Lots of good stuff to be heard there. The History Podcast with Connor Lewis. There's been some really good stuff on there the last couple of weeks. His two-part uh, episodes on Seth Rayner. Was, well, I'm halfway I've been through saving episode, those up. Well, I'm halfway through episode one. I had a long drive, but I had some other stuff to do, so he'll get a look in. Next week, you can also hear a different and very interesting take on women in golf through On the Tee with Dr. P, favourite of ours here. That's academic stuff, which I think is right up your alley, Adrian, so that's always worth having a listen to. Well, you can get your fix of Get Off My Lawn with the Grumpy Old Man State of the Game podcast. One of the co-hosts who's with us today, he'll join us in just a moment. As soon as I've introduced my regular co-host, Adrian Logue, good to be in the studio with you this morning, Logue. Always exciting to talk to the great Mike Clayton, and as is now the new norm here at Good Good. Tell people where they can find you on Twitter to save me the trouble of having to do it. Uh, just well, really, just go to adrianlogue.com. You can find you all find my everything. stuff there. Yeah. What are you? Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Tumblr, yep. Flickr. You've got it all. Mediocre at all of it. <laughs> An eight marker at everything <laughs> from much. a real chat of all trades. Great stuff. Uh, I'm at, at Rod underscore Morrow on Twitter if you want to find me there. As I said, my messages are open, so anybody can send me a message. And today's guest is at, at Mike Clayton Golf. Now, I thought I'd mention that because I'm not sure that he'd remember what his Twitter handle is. Let's not speculate. Let's ask the man himself. Clayton, have I stitched you up there, or do you know what your Twitter handle is? Now that you've changed it to something sensible from what was it, at Michael Clayton 15 or some such oh, nonsense yeah. for years? 
I actually just quickly looked it up to remind myself, yeah, at Mike Clayton Golf. <laughs> at Mike Clayton Golf. Even you can remember it. Uh, welcome, my friend. Good to have you aboard. Uh, lots of stuff to talk about in the world of golf, as always. Though, before we get started, what were you just telling Adrian and I that you were reading in the paper <laughs> or online just before we started? Uh, I was just reading in the Age website about the flat earth guy who tried to prove the world was flat and crashed his rocket and killed himself, sadly. But um, you wonder how... Anyone in this day age, day and age can seriously think the world's still flat. Yep. Is that evolution? Only in America, is, as they say. <laughs> is, well, let's, let's not get too carried away. Is that evolution at work, Adrian? It, oh, possibly. <laughs> I, there's a, a lot of pseudoscience in golf as well as yeah, the world exactly at large. Right. And I think that's what you get if you get like somebody like a homeopathy expert making a rocket or something it's just we're going to get emails i can't believe i've just said my twitter direct messages are open i'm going to be flooded now because of what you've had to say let's start with some of the uh good and fun stuff we meant to have this little uh segment each week which we've forgotten about about you know the highs of golf and what what made you love golf again this week i want to start there this week i was at bonville over the week this past week uh, for the Ladies European Tour event up there. And it was a decent field. Uh, I was extremely impressed with Iron Cho. The, she's played, she played three tournaments in Australia, played in the last group Sunday in all three. Didn't win any of them, but seriously impressive player. That was a pretty special performance. Clates, we've seen amateurs win professional events before. And nobody's pretending that the Australian Ladies Classic at Bonville is the strongest field of players uh, in women's professional golf, but... There's a lot more to winning golf tournaments than just the physical. That's an ex- that's a pretty impressive mental performance, isn't it, from Steph Kiriako? I know that you watched a bit of it. She didn't just win. She walloped them. She went. She had six birdies on the first nine holes, five of them in a row. She just, just ripped the tournament out of their hands in nine holes. What were your thoughts as you were watching that unfold, Clades? Because we don't care enough of you as the player. Well, I saw it on Twitter that she was playing well. So I turned it on after she'd made... The five birdies. She was on the tenth, maybe or something. But she had a ten-shot lead. I mean, that's amazing. Mm. Amateur. Mm. I mean, it's not wasn't a great field, but chose terrific. Um, Anne Van Dam's obviously a really good player. So you know there were some pretty competent players there. But Christina Kim was there, um, who played well the last two weeks. But to win, to have a ten-shot lead, a staggering performance. I mean, it wasn't like Greg Norman's ten-shot lead because men's men's golfers look. This won't sound right, but they look more impressive because they're more powerful. You're, you're always more in awe of men than women when they play, but it's still amazingly impressive. And you know, um, Women have their own impressive ways of making us feel good about women's golf, which is what Envy um, Park did in Adelaide. That was a remarkable performance. I thought that was amazing to watch yeah. someone just take apart a golf course and win a tournament without... From the very first hole when she held that wedge, I watched the first 36 holes. She never looked like losing that tournament. It was amazing. She just never made – she barely made a single mistake. It's funny, isn't it, Clay? As you say, you've kind of got to be a golfer to appreciate in B Park and what she did. If you were a non-golfer and you turned it on, you'd go, oh, she just looks like she's got a bit of a funny swing. If you're a non-golfer and you turn on the TV and you see Dustin Johnson or Rory smash a driver, you can sort of see, wow, there's something pretty amazing about that guy. But they're real golfers, golfers, aren't they, players like NB? Well, NB was amazing to me. I've said it a bunch of times already, but there were four difficult holes at Royal Adelaide last week. End of the win, um, six, two woods into the wind, par four up the hill, 12 down the hill to the upturned green, 14 the hardest hole on the course, and then 16 down the upturned green. And the first two days, she didn't really hit one impressive-looking shot 
on the other 14 holes. They were, they were really effective. She needed a bad shot. Then she got on those four hard holes and just ripped it right into the middle of the green every time. Yep. So, you know, if you're really noticing what she was doing, it was amazing. you can see why she's been such a great player. Yep. Got on a hard hole, she just took it apart. Yep. It was, she was brilliant. Sort of stepped up a gear when the course demanded she step up a gear and just yeah. play good golf for the rest of it. Mentally, Clates, for a player in Steph's position there, I mean, she was clearly what they call in the zone. It would be, I was following her, and she certainly looked to be a player who was particularly comfortable. Mentally, there's got to be 10 shots in front is one thing, but when she got sort of four or five in front, in some ways that can be the worst place to be, can't it? Because now you've got everything to lose <laughs> from yeah, that position. True, yeah. So that uh, to me, it was the mental thing that was more impressive. She hit it fantastic. She putted. Beautifully, I mean, she really, she really rolled the, the spot on, on greens that, frankly, flummoxed most of the pros. They're that grainy sort of Bermuda. You can see the changes in colour, and the ball sometimes breaks what looks to be uphill because. And they, by the end of the week, most of the pros are frazzled uh, by the greens. They, they, they really find them hard to work out. Which the other thing that struck me, Clay, I'll get your thoughts on this too, Adrian. I, I know that. It's a famous story about players saying, you know, when they're playing fast greens, I love I love fast greens and when they're playing slow greens. I love slow greens. Pretty important, isn't it? I felt that for a player like Van Dam, who's clearly a superior talent, her frustration on the greens was probably quite costly. And if a professional or if a golfer can learn to love whatever you're playing that week, there has to be an advantage, Clates. Is there anything in that? Yeah, I mean, Gary Player was that. Every course he went to was the finest course he ever played. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember we would go from Huntingdale, the Australian Masters, to Hong Kong, and he would go from greens that were fourteen and pure flat bent to sloping greens running at eight on rough cooch grass. So you just have to adapt. You have to adapt, and there is no point bitching about it. You just got to adapt and put up with it and play it. Yeah. But, I mean, everyone's always got a preference of what they like putting on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it's that, you, it's the bitching about it. You, you, you almost never hear a player win, do you, Logue, who says, I hated these greens this week and I'm not a fan of this golf course. Well, it's the same for everyone, isn't yeah. it? I've never, ever understood that complaining about conditions, whether it's extreme heat or rain or slow greens, soft greens, firm greens. All it's, of which we had the same Bonville, for everybody. By the way. <laughs> Every Indeed. one of those conditions was at Bonville last yeah. week. Yeah, but it, like just a remarkable performance by um, Steph Kiriakou. There's these moments in golf that occur every now and then where a young player has a dominant victory. And like Clates mentioned, Norman had you know a big victory early on. I, I remember Baker Finch having a seven or eight shot victory in the New South Wales Open one year. Clates, yeah, more, more at, than, at the Lakes. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't that was that was probably the best score I've ever seen in a golf tournament. You shot. 1400 or something. Yeah. That, the course was brutal that week. The greens were like concrete. Yeah. And he was Amazing. young. And, uh, what, and uh, occasionally you have the other one. Like, I think David Diaz had like a 10 shot victory in the Queensland Open or oh, something okay. like that and never went on to do anything. But um, it, the Baker Finches and the Normans, when they do this, it signals the start of something special. And to get out to 10 shots in. Uh, with you know nine to play, and then uh, I think it came back to a, like an eight shot win. Eight shots in the end, yeah. She had one bogey, which was really because Iron Cho just got her act together towards the end. She held an eagle pitch on the fourteenth. She played, yeah. she played awfully on the. Well, actually, she played poorly for her first, third, and fourth day, mm. and still was <laughs> still finished second. That's right. Played in the last, I was incredibly impressed with her and her brand of golf. Yeah, but, there's something about this ability to convert yeah. a lead into a 
huge yeah. win that signals something special about that person. And, uh, you, yeah, all of our great players have done it at mm-hmm. one point in their career. And they may never repeat it again, but it's something that sort of signals their arrival. Yeah, Clates, is there something about some players where they sort of get to four or five under and go into protect mode? You know, you don't want to don't want to throw this away now that you've had a good start. And there are other players who get to five and just want to be at six. And if they get to six, they want to be at seven. If they get to seven, they want to be at eight. Is there anything in that? Probably. I, I, I think it's... I mean, they're much more used to shooting low scores now, so that doesn't happen so much. So I think mm. it's more... There's something daunting about being playing really well, isn't there, in a funny way? Yeah, there is, but... Um, Okay, when I came for Elvis at, at Smiley in the Australian Open, the second day he was, you know, he shot 67 and at those days was he kind of trying to shoot 70 and, and kind of made the cut and protected. He just kept trying to make birdies. And, so I think that the players these days are much more used to seeing low scores. I mean, Tiger changed that. Yeah. You know, you know the, I, I think they understand that it's no good just shooting 70s and hanging around and finishing fourth. They... You know, they really want to shoot those scores because they've seen so many of those scores in the last 10 years, certainly. Yeah, it was well, I, I, as I said, having been there, look, I, I can say this because I'm old enough. She's a great kid, Steph. She's 19, only just turned 19, but a really, really super nice girl, loads of personality, bubbly on the outside, maybe even a bit of the Trevino about her. She's bubbly and chatty, not so much with the playing partners on the course, but within, clearly, you don't do what she's done unless you're driven. And she had the game face on yesterday. I don't know what you're doing there, Clates, but I'm going to have to edit it out. That was a horrible noise. Um, <laughs> she's clearly got something in there with Griffin. So we might have seen the start of something special. She's got two weeks now to decide. She gets her exemption to the Ladies European Tour for winning is the rest of this year and all of next. Should she decide to turn professional and take that up in the next two weeks, there is also an option for her to defer should she want to and take up just next year's exemption if she wants to stay amateur for the rest of this year. But she's in the Evian, that's guaranteed. Okay. So lots to think about for her. What's uh, she going to miss out on if she turns pro straight away? Well, nothing. Nothing? Nothing. nothing. And look, <laughs> I was just discussing it with Clates before we came on air, so to speak. Last year, under the same circumstances, a ticket to the Ladies' European Tour really, she might have been better off staying amateur. Yep. She yep. would have access, had access to a whole lot more stuff through the high-performance programs. But now that they've got this joint venture with the LPGA and the top five on the order of merit will get access to the LPGA Tour, that pathway, Clayton, suddenly becomes a whole lot clearer, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. You can't imagine there'd be any point in her remaining amateur now with that sort of on offer. The only downside is that she doesn't get the points slash money on the order of merit for her win yesterday. So... Uh, that doesn't get uh, taken into account. Are you eating chips, Clayton? No, it sounds like an apple or something. No. Maybe. It's you're like a mystery it. sound. Well, I think you're rubbing your um, you microphone on your lift your, your mic off your shirt mistake. a little That's bit. what's happened there, because yeah. you're probably lying down, as you often do for these podcasts, as we discovered <laughs> well, once on I've not been doing that. Well, I've got my leg down. She might as well turn pro this week. And absolutely. Stuff rise open and, get, and get the money for it. Yeah, absolutely. Indeed. Although... Yeah, of course, the only thing about that is she's got to be exhausted, doesn't she, Clay? You've won golf tournaments. Is it more exhausting than it looks? I imagine she'll wake up today somewhat drained. Well, you wouldn't want to be driving to Dubbo and playing a practice round today, that's for sure. No, no that's exactly yeah, So how far is Dubbo from Bonville? Four and a half, five hours? Yeah, 
At, oh, at least. I'm, at least, maybe I, more. I've I'd never done it. Six or seven. Yeah, possibly yeah. six or seven. I'll yeah. be going up there on Thursday. I'll be covering the tournament again this week. So look forward to uh, to seeing her there. And the other nice thing, of course, she had her dad caddying for you for her, Adrian. And this is something that I've written about a few times over the years. I reckon golf's one of the few sports, and particularly through the teenage years, where dads and daughters yeah. have got something they can share. Dad's a six-marker at the Lakes. Uh, could not have been a prouder person on property yesterday. He was beaming. They must have a uh, fantastic right. relationship for him to be still caddying for a, <laughs> <at this laughs> to last all four days. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty impressive uh, sort of thing. Yeah, so look, she, she teased him all week about being in the way and all that sort of stuff, but they had a, had a win, so that was really nice. So look, there's my positive. That was my golf high. Did you have a golf high this week before we move on, Adrian? Uh, no. I, well, just the club competition at uh, Pimble, there was one of those two-week uh, things with a board event and everything, and I was leading after the first round. That's a horrible place to be. I, <laughs> Did you fold up like a cheap deck chair under no, the pressure? No, the, the, the guy who was leading came in with like 33 points or something, so I knew what I had to do. Uh-huh. I had 34 points, but the the threat came from within, Rod. My, one of my own playing partners oh, really? went and had like a day out. This guy off six had a couple under par, <laughs> 44 points. Oh, Jesus. Oh, ran me down. So Sometimes It was a highlight it's- to watch my friend... Yeah, of course. Win, even though that's the consolation prize. They had my name half engraved on the trophy, and sometimes, Clay, you just take your hat off, don't you? You feel you've done as well as golf can. Well, as golf can be played, and somebody plays better, you just take your hat off. So, indeed, uh, you don't know pressure till you got a bogey. Steph Kiriaki, Steph Kiriaki would be uh, no problem winning that event. Did you have a golf highlight this week, Clay? You play as much golf as any man in the world. My highlight was Bryson DeChambeau forgetting that he could fix the line of a putt before he putted. And then it's outrageous. Jack of the green. Uh, I mean, is the guy kind of how many times does this guy have to do something idiotic before people realise he's idiotic? Yeah, it's, it's just it's a bad bizarre, look. It? Yeah, it's the it's the the sort of the absent-minded genius is the is the go. No, what it's about, just incredibly narcissistic. I think it, it is. But what? Surely the other players must get on him about that. There's other blokes who got a putt on that green. Yeah, this is the I thing don't about think they interact on that level. Like, they don't police each well, other. Well, this brings us neatly to something that I did want to talk about, and I never thought I'd say this. Thank God for Brooks Kepka. Oh, yeah. In all honesty, yep. uh, that whole Patrick Reed thing has been bubbling away, waiting for somebody with some gravity in the game to just say outright, not on. Yep. Jeff said, Jeff Ogilvie said in a, in a column, he said that, that, you know, you can't have golf if the blokes do it. The ball-stopping column, the backstopping one? I think he there's, was, no, there's a very good that. Oh, okay. There's that, a very yeah. good backstopping column. In oh, okay, I must, this, this, uh, I must this read that as well. Golf, but but Clay, thank God for Brooks Kepka. Finally, somebody with the kahunas to just come out and say it's not on. Patrick, you can only imagine what that next pairing is going to be like between the two of them. But like Reed, Kepka doesn't seem to care. But I was pleased to see him say it, Clay. Yeah, he's oblivious to it all. It seems Patrick Reed. But um, and there was a headline in Golf World something about um, on Twitter. No, you know, Patrick Reed deflects criticism about his play or something, referring to his play. Well, no one's criticising his play. What's do with his play at all? Play's, Play's fantastic. Phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's fine. I mean, who's criticising his play? It's a joy to watch. And, uh, and it was good that... Should we segue to the Peter Costas thing? It was good. I mean, Costas obviously called him out too, saying yes. that he's seen him four times in previous life. Yep. In fact, and they had that one YouTube clip which Jeff Shackle put on his site... Of Costa saying so live on air, yeah. he said flat out, uh, "This shot wouldn't be possible with the lie that I first saw." Yeah. 
Uh, it does lead into something, though, that, that Costas interview, and I do want to come to that, Clates, because it says uh, he said an awful lot of stuff that was interesting, one of them being about how the tour tries to control all this stuff. So at Mexico, Reid was asked a question about how this Bahamas thing keeps simmering away, and he said, oh, I'm just here to focus on golf and whatnot. Somebody asked a, a follow-up question to that, and a PGA Tour official ended the interview. Logue, is that the job of the PGA Tour? No, it's not. No, this I'm I'm pretty sick of this. Frankly, it's there's they, yeah, this they they want a seat at the table for certain discussions about the ball and things like that. But they you know acts like this prove time and again that they're just not a responsible. Well, the, there's all care, no responsibility with that stuff. But then with their own interests, and they they demonstrate this time and again with their media. Uh, media presence with their own interests, um, they they'll just do whatever bullying tactics or uh, whatever outrageous outrageous thing they can so get away with. So, do fans care? They justify it based on you know looking after players and looking after the product. Do fans care? Perhaps that's one of those ones where only only journalists care or people who follow golf media do you reckon the i've said this before and it might just be our bubble is the worm turning there is an awful lot of anti you don't have to go far on twitter especially to find anti pga tour sentiment amongst legitimate golf fans who love the game and it's interesting that it's in several different aspects of how they mm -hmm. present themselves one of them's you know the way they control their media another one's the way they um do the telecast uh access to players some of the obvious promotional stuff they do, which is so saccharine. It's just saccharine. Um, it's just uh, silly sort of stuff, setups where players go to the ropes to meet some uh, some child or something. That it's, it's not the it's European just some tour, obvious setup. <laughs> and, and often it's a player whose image is needing boosting and all that sort of stuff. They just continue to churn out this stuff. And I think people are becoming a little bit cynical of it and uh it's at the same time i i must admit it must be a nightmare organization to run like there's so many competing interests you've got you're running like a uh, an event each week which is a whole corporation all of its own mm -hmm. there's sponsors for each of those events you've got hundreds of players who you're answering to uh you've got all the, you've got this media organization within a golf tournament uh, tour uh, and and many other factors that I'm not taking into account. It's just an enormously complicated yeah, logistically organization. Anybody who's ever organised a, any, in fact, anybody who's ever organised a mate's golf trip with yeah. four oh, people. Oh, they've got a whole travel company. <laughs> like, there's PGA Tour travel. There's, yeah, there's I mean, there's going on there. entire organisations within organisations. Um, and uh, I I have somewhat I have some sympathy for that, but. Uh, the core thing is golf, and they're the showcase of the best golf in the world. Um, so they have a certain responsibility there, which, to me, uh, should override everything else. Everything else should be there to serve that. Yeah. Um, but I, I think they, they turn the, that the, on its the head. The cards now have gotten yeah. ahead of the horse because yeah. that's sort of where the money is. Clades, back in the day, much as I hate to use the term, did when you played on the European Tour, was there instruction for players about how to deal with media? Did the tour, what was their role in acting between players and the tour? It feels like in the good old days, journos just went and talked to players and whatever they said was what 
or what, maybe sometimes what they didn't say <laughs> was what went in the paper or the magazines. But was that relationship different? Could you have seen the European tour doing what the PGA tour did with Patrick Reed the other day in Mexico? No, well, the journalists travelled with the players and they were at the tournaments and they just spoke to the players and the players spoke to them so, and they trusted them. Mm-hmm. So it seems, I mean, there aren't very many golf journalists left in anywhere in the world. And the players have got a Trump-like distrust of the media, so they won't say anything to them, and they blame them for anything bad that happens if something comes out. So there's just a much different relationship between the players and the press, which is a pity because it was it was terrific when I was playing. And the same thing happened in Australia. I mean, everyone knew the golf writers. You know, Tom Ramsey and Rochi and Don Lawrence and Peter Stone. And, uh, everyone knew who they were, and they, and they trusted them, and they, they wrote good golf because they knew the game and so it was um, it, it worked really well but the same things happened here really I mean there aren't any golf riders in Australia left really no what was it you and me and Huggy and who else is left we're claiming Huggy we'll take him as Australia are there any Kiwis we can claim that always upsets them let's see if we can get a Kiwi in there no there are no Kiwis you're right, no, you're I mean, right. There's, there's very who, few who, who writes golf in Australia for a newspaper I don't know anyone I couldn't tell you one one golf writer in Australia who actually writes for a newspaper because the newspapers clearly don't care anymore. Jim Tucker does a good job at the Courier Mail. Yeah, he does. It's he just does. one of several really sports that's that's that right. he covers. Yeah, that right. rugby union and league, and but he's to his credit, Jim's always sniffing around for golf stories. Every time I'm at a tournament, the phone rings on the tournament organizer's desk, and it'll be Jim asking about something or someone. Ironically, Clates that. You're right, that relationship has changed so much as the money has come into the game or poured into the game, players have got managers, the barriers between the player and the press are now enormous. So what these middlemen have achieved, in fact, has been um, exactly what they didn't want. Now the journos don't trust the players, can't get near the players, and that's the environment where you get a whole bunch of people looking for negative stories because the players don't aren't people anymore or blokes that you could apart from anything else blokes you might run into in the bar or at the tournament who might front you and go hey I didn't like what you wrote uh, so the relationship's changed and it hasn't been for the better for any side it seems to me Clates. at least they're but, reading if they yeah, well, <laughs> at least they're reading yeah that's true I suppose yeah yeah it's just it, it hasn't worked it, what they've tried to achieve has, has been a complete failure hasn't it it seems to me well Huggy trying to talk to Leona Maguire in Adelaide mm-hmm. talk to my manager I mean really you know, I mean, what, I mean, it's not it's not Jack Nicholas or Tiger Woods or, I mean, maybe Tiger needs someone to control who, you know, because everyone wants to talk to Tiger all day, every day, every week. But you, know, you need some control over that. But Leona Maguire, I mean, who's a terrific young lady, by the way. I interviewed yeah, her at this time player. last year. Yeah, yeah, oh, I did, a couple of years I ago, I just lobbed up to her a bondle and said, "Have you got an hour to have a chat?" Sat down with some microphones and we had a chat. A year down the track, and she is a player of enormous potential. I mean, I think she's going to be something. And she played at Bonville this past week, and you're right. Her manager was there, who's now her twin sister, <laughs> Lisa, who herself was a very oh, she, gifted player. Oh, who now she's not pursuing. She's given up the thing. Professional yeah. golfers, okay. and she's now working for Niall Horan's management company. All right, who Leona has signed with, and so she looks after Leona. Obviously, she, to her enormous credit, walked the entire golf course at Bonville four straight days, right. <laughs> following Lisa, no cart. So that uh, that tells you something. But in just a year. That's changed. When Huggy said to me that he told me at the Vic Open he was trying to get an interview with Leon and that he'd had to go through the management, we all know what that means. That means a week of delays and, no, we can't make this time and that time on. That's a shame for her because if you listen – I'll put a link to the show notes. If you go back and listen to the interview I did with her last year, she's a smart, 
strong, independent thinking, intelligent young woman who's got a great take on the game and a great ability. And nobody gets to see that now because this middleman says that, you know, a, a, a worthwhile journo like John Huggan can't have 30 minutes to just go and talk to her about golf. So everybody loses. She loses. We lose. Huggy loses. They close it down pretty quickly these days in their careers, don't they? Where they go from being a fresh-faced teenager that is having fun with the the press more often than not, like you see them at um, interstate series events or yep. something, having having a great time. Well, Steph Kiriak is a prime. I met Steph for the first time last year. Yep, you know, fantastic. She came up every morning. She came to the media center before she teed off this past week, just to talk nonsense and be lighthearted with yep. me and yep. TC, who's the media manager or the. I'm not sure what his actual title. He does everything better in golf yep. New South Wales, TC. But it was almost like a sort of a pressure valve. And you know, unfortunately, that'll probably be lost. But credit, no, not always. I mean, credit to no, like Minwoo Lee, who still true. is is fantastic with his time. Uh, I mean, it doesn't take up all that much time, to be honest. But uh, do you have to want to do it, Clates? Uh, do players now find it? Paint. I imagine you quite enjoyed talking to the press. In- yeah. Well, if you're talking to them, then you're playing well. So <laughs> why would you want to avoid it? I mean, yeah, it's yeah. kind of cool to see your name in the paper when you're a kid, isn't it? Well, I would have thought so. I certainly thought <laughs> the only way I ever managed to do it was to become a journo. But if you're actually achieving something that other people want to write about, it must be extremely exciting. I would imagine, yeah. So that, that that's a whole side of the game which has not changed for the better. And the PGA Tour have undoubtedly been at the forefront of it. Now, I know the PGA Tour, part of their induction when you get your card is you go through a bunch of media training of how to be like a politician, stay on message, it doesn't matter what the question is, these are the issues you talk about, which brings us neatly to one of the things that Costas raised, and this is a this is a serious issue, I think, with the PGA Tour, but it's not, a, it's not the most exciting, uh, obvious thing that they're doing. It's like, hey, look what they're up to. It's this notion of okay. controlling the message about what are the majors and what are the, what are the important events in golf. And I was staggered that they would so brazenly complain to CBS that Costas had asked some first-time winner about winning a place in the Masters instead of and before noting that he'd won 500 FedEx Cup points. Would you, what was your take on that, Clates? That To have that information out there for someone to release is really dangerous. I mean, you wouldn't want to be Jay Monaghan at the moment, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, that was bizarre. I mean, Costas, for those who didn't listen... Uh, someone who won a tournament, how do you feel about having your job secured for two years and a place in, in the Masters? And he was uh, told by the tour that, no, you need to ask him how he feels about winning 500 FedEx Cup points. And Costa's reply was, I can tell you that's the last thing on his mind. He's, he, he cares about job security and being in the Masters. That's what he cares about. Yeah, and it was just, you know, just a bizarre take that you would tell someone, no, no, ask him how he feels about winning 500 FedEx Cup points, as if anyone cares. Well, that's right, and this, t- this ties into the majors thing, doesn't it, where the PGA Tour has tried to adopt this major season, which includes the Players' Championship and the FedEx Cup playoffs and the Tour Championship. They've just sort of, they've just sneakily lumped it in there in graphics on the Golf Channel. The question is, Logue, do we, the public, eventually just buy it if they keep telling it to us often enough? This is clearly their their ploy. To some extent, um, for sure. Like you mentioned, something often enough, people, it's the message is going to like come through eventually, and so 
they're trying to get as many mentions of the sponsor in there as possible. My my problem with it is that it's not they're not high quality references to the sponsor, and a certain percentage of the population viewing that are going to pick up on that and be completely turned off on it. So. In a well, way, that percentage it's a, will be the hardcore golf fans, though, won't it? Which, in some ways, it feels like the PGA Tour yeah. find us to be the real pain in the backside. Well, the, exactly, um, and I think we would respond better to a classier presentation of the of the major sponsor. We, we I personally would feel like the major sponsor would be better served by um, you know a classier presentation mm. and really great golf, a great product that I want to switch onto and watch every week. The WGCs aren't televised in australia uh, unless it's some way to get not get that i know that i don't I think i don't think they are no and i don't really care <laughs> <laughs> i've watched a few of the highlights and it's like okay I'm, that's what i missed and uh, i watched riviera last week i thought that was pretty entertaining but obviously there was lots of documented well documented problems did, with you, the coverage, did you watch it for the tournament or did you watch it for riviera for me oh, it was oh, a combination yeah, of riviera really plus adam scott riviera. i wanted to see the course yeah, and then yeah. with adam scott in contention as an australia obviously you've plugged neatly into something that richard gillis talked about when we had him on the podcast a few weeks ago i'm not sure whether you i know you know richard clays he's a really intelligent guy that story about the interview with nadal that uh who was it greg Baum? is that your tennis writer who wrote about how oh, they yeah, were offered yeah, the one-on-one yeah, on one, but great. you had to yeah. mention the sponsor and you know you can you got to put the questions in in advance and so I was talking about Richard about that with Richard Gillis, and his immediate response was, well, there's a PR firm that should just be sacked. Mm-hmm. Because if you're still using those tactics from the 1970s, in 20, then, then Nadal needs to smarten up and get himself some better management. There's an element of that in what you're talking about here, isn't there, Adrian? If, if the PGA Tour's blunt weapon is to just say FedEx as many times as possible, yeah. it's not... It's not modern, nuanced marketing. No. It's just dumb. It's dumb. And to bring it back to what Costas said as well, the reason why there's so many ads on the CBS coverage is because they've had to pay just a ridiculous amount of money for the rights. Mm. And the more the the bidding goes on for those rights, the higher the price is going to be and, and the more ads they've got to show to actually pay for the coverage. And, 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 as and it the is, less they spend on the production. Exactly. The as it time. is, they don't have enough cameras. They've, they're laying back staff. Um so it's it's a vicious circle, and as, as he said, that sort of all culminates in that statement. He said is that they don't care about the golf, they don't care about the product, they don't give a rat's ass. They don't give a uh, to not put too fine a point on it. Yeah, they don't give a rat's ass about the product, um, the management of either company, and they're you know they're both complicit there. The, the CBS you know bidding for these rights to greedily sort of you know have that as part of their portfolio, and the PGA Tour. Um, just trying to wring every dollar that they can possibly wring out of every single asset that they've got uh, that a good to the detriment strategy? of the product. Is it a good long-term strategy? Well, it's and, and I guess I know, um, but it's fed by it's, it's not the way I feel like you should build something to last because it sets unrealistic expectations about what you've got to achieve the next year, and the year, quarter, 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 and the year after that, and the year after that, and the year after that. And it's not the way a tournament like. The Masters has become successful, for example, because you know that, that's They've done the opposite. In fact. The complete opposite. In, <laughs> in fact, down, some of their decisions look ridiculous, but it's all focusing on um, everything's there to serve the quality of the product that they're serving up. Uh, there's issues with the Masters yeah, coverage I'm, as well. I'll, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm tiring of the Masters somewhat <laughs> yeah, in some ways yeah. too, and the reverence towards it. Yeah, in many they've ways, certainly created uh, a mystique around this product, much. and, and you, you expect they'll manage their way out of 
what I think a lot of people are starting to think, which is all a bit too much and a bit too syrupy and a bit oh, too yeah. sugary for yep. what's essentially- It's all a bit too Jim Nance. Yeah, an exhibition. Clates, how do the players feel about this sort of stuff, or do they not care as long as there's a purse and, as you've said before, they'd play down a highway if there was money at the end of it? Yeah, I don't think the players care, do they? The players care about anything except their team and how they're doing. Their team, the guy face it. Team, I mean, it's just are we tired of that. Play, yeah, yes. Players are becoming but, a boring interview, don't you think? Oh, horrendous for the most oh, part. Yeah, horrendous. Yeah, Rory's horrific. interesting. Spieth is interesting. Jeff Ogilvie is obviously interesting. Yeah. Brooks Kepka has become interesting. Um, I'm, I, ironically, I'm not overly enamoured when I watch his golf. I mean, it's good, but I don't find it that interesting to watch. But when he talks now, I start to listen yep. <laughs> because he might say something interesting. Who else? Well, the only thing any player seems to appear on these days. Uh, in mediums where they're not going to get asked any tough questions. And uh, I think that's part of the PGA Tour controlling things as well, or at least the training that they've been given is that everything's got to go through the manager because the manager can decide whether or not this is going to be a puff piece. The middle or, or the, there's going to be some sort of actual um, journalism there to sort of try and discover a story or to understand the person a bit more deeply and... It just, it, it just staggers me because it's obvious, isn't it, Clayton, that nobody is served well by that. No. Nobody. Not the player, not the press, not the fans. I suppose we're making the same point again. Nobody is served well by a, a world where you just dish up a bowl of vanilla every week because it satisfies the most number of people. Football survives on controversy, doesn't it? Yeah. I thought Envy was great in Adelaide when she spoke about being scared to play the Olympics yeah. and how much pressure she was under and... Because yes, you assume she's impervious to the pressure because she doesn't have any outward emotion in terms of what's going on on the golf course. But and Sayong is great in the press conference because she's like completely unfiltered. Yeah, you know, it's not like she says ridiculous things, but she's just honest and she answers questions and she thinks about it and asks them properly. Well, the LPGA so, shows so much more confidence in their players, don't they? Yeah, the LPGA is miles better than the PGA mm. Tour in, in so many ways. The players are much better with the press because they have to be because they know if they don't make an effort, that tour goes away. I mean, the PJ Tour is never going to go away because it's so big. But, you know, I mean, the LPJ, they're so much easier to deal with. And the, girl, and, the and the women turn up and play yeah. because they've got to play. So NB Park and so on turn up at the Australian Open without getting paid any appearance money. And, you know, it's, Probably you know, paid it's the their own accommodation. got the handout for a million dollars, yeah, for half a million at least. At least, yeah, that's exactly right. And, and players, you wouldn't pay to go and watch, getting half a million as well, because that's the marketplace that's created. You say the PGA Tour is too big to go away, Clates? Is it? Is this Premier Golf League? Well, it's a good point. Yeah, um, yeah, the PGA Tour is a, a forty-eight signatures away from going away altogether, isn't it? Really? <laughs> I might, I don't think they'll get them. The, the forty-eight signatures, but. You know, if the top 48 guys decide to go and play for 54 holes, no cut, 10 million a week with a chance for ownership of the teams and 18 weeks a year, then the PGA Tour is dead, isn't it? If the top 50 players leave it. You would think so. This is so incredible. There are so many layers to this. Uh, would you watch it, Adrian? Is that watchable? 54 holes, no cut, shotgun starts they're talking about, I think, for some of them. No, I love some of the concepts that they've got. I'm not not enamoured with where the money's coming from. Um, I don't like the limited field concept. I, I, I hate I, it. I feel like part of golf is... Yeah, the part, part, of, of part of the deal is that you've got to beat 
a lot more people than that and somebody who's going to have every dog has its day yeah and you, you've got to beat the guy who's having his day min Wu had to beat marcus fraser yep. and every week tiger has to beat a field of marcus frasers and yep. rory and that's the whole point and every now and then man bites dog yep. and marcus fraser wins and steph kiriaku was man bites dog good player but that was what was exciting about that is this amateur just walloped a field of pros. Now, with a limited field, top pros only, I think I'm not convinced that the, the paying public wants to watch just that either. And I think the WGCs are a prime example of that. By no means have they become the most watched or most, uh, most sought-after tournaments for spectators and fans. They're just money grabs. Mm-hmm. And I think an 18-schedule event of money grabs with 54 holes, no cut, basically just giving money away. I don't see how it works. The biggest problem is always going to be where do you get the next 48 from? This is the problem that golf has to talk about regardless. What do we do when Tiger's gone? And form is so elusive as well. Like, of course it is. It's you slip out of the top 48 and what, what do you do? You, uh, I mean, I guess you, you're locked in for a season, right? Mm. And then it's reevaluated at the end of the season. I, I saw their criteria for all of this, and I just thought well, they were really it. trying to strain to... Well, before long, it'll just be a reality TV show, won't it? Who do, the, who do people want to see in the teams? Let's have a vote. You, you can see that that would be put forward as a legitimate way. Well, this is entertainment. This is how entertainment works. Who do people want to see in the teams? That might be even more interesting. I wonder if the irony of their first tweet was lost on them, Clates. Nobody owns golf. It belongs oh. to everybody. Oh. <laughs> yeah. How angry did that make everybody? <laughs> how does how does that? I mean, I'm not sure that we'd be handing over the reins to anybody more competent than the PGA Tour if that's their their first up effort. Now, Rory has said he's out, Clayton. Yep. What needs to happen for it to win from there? That's a pretty big blow for the PGA. Rory said he's out unless everyone else is in. That's right. He's in. Yeah. So, um, as interesting was his quote, I want to be on the right side of history on this. And I don't think... You know, players who make fortunes with one organisation and then get to a point where they're one of the best players in the world and then tear it down and go and play for more money. is I'm not sure that's the right side of history. Uh, but Hank Haney made a good point. He said Tiger's the most underpaid athlete ever. Sure. And I think you can argue that. I mean, yeah. Tiger, for all the money he's made, is, for, for the riches he's bought everyone else, he hasn't made what he might have made out of it, probably. He also wouldn't have any of it without everyone else. That's true. Yep. No PGA Tour, no Tiger Woods. Simple. Exactly he'd, ju- right. he'd just be a good golfer so, in California. You know, as much as we can sit here and bitch about the PGA Tour, it's the best show in town. And you know, as much as we'd like to change the way they do things, then tearing it down is, in my mind, not a great idea. The week-to-week competition, which the PGA Tour still runs, makes a whole lot of sense. You could mess around with a few formats and do some interesting things during the year, but that week-to-week competition is compelling because it's not contrived. It's the rest of the stuff the PGA Tour does around that to try to cash in on that, which is what's dangerous and problematic, I think. Watching golfers play against golfers for something that means something to them. The interesting part of that whole Costas bit where they complained, the tour complained to CBS about him asking about the points, goes right to the very heart of this Premier Golf League thing, which is the first thing every winner on the PGA Tour, every first time winner thinks is, I'm going to the Masters. Mm-hmm. No player in the Premier Golf League thinks I'm going to the Masters because they've already. They don't have that to offer. They don't have history, and it's underrated, undervalued in the proposition they're putting. I think it still isn't clear to me. I don't know. I haven't listened to the interview. Well, interview might be using the term loosely, from what I understand. I haven't listened to their 
discussion with Rick Shields on his podcast, the, the, the head of this thing who came out and spoke publicly for the first time. But I still, is, is it clear yet whether the players who play there could still play in the majors? Because they can't play the PGA Tour. Jay Monahan's already said that. I think that. they published a, um, a schedule which included the majors. And have the majors they, they suggested agreed to that? Oh. <laughs> well, they, no, they also well, I published a tweet that said nobody owns golf. Yeah. <laughs> so publishing something doesn't make it true. Sorry, Clates, have you got some info there? Or? Well, no, I assume you can play the majors. But, well, two of the majors, by definition, are open. So they're open to anybody. Um, I guess they would have to create an exemption category for some of the 48 guys who mightn't be exempt. Could they do else. it? Could the PGA Tour and the, the governing bodies do a deal over rollback where the USGA and the RNA support the PGA Tour for exemptions into their majors but not the Premier Golf League? Does that give them a bargaining chip with the Distance Insights report bifurcating the game? Because the PGA Tour don't have anything to bargain with with the majors. They don't own any majors. No. It's a bit complicated, all that. that So you know you're not going to get into the Players' Championship if you're a Premier Golf League player. That's off the table because it's a PGA Tour-owned event. Maybe the Premier Golf League will just approach the USGA and make it one of their 40, like a limited field event, like the Australian Open, apparently. Having a 48-player Australian 48 Open. 48-player Australian Open. How insulting was that? It's um, beyond insulting. Yeah. It's, um, well, I just don't, I don't but know. It's just, oh, we need a, a good tournament in Australia, so let's pick Australia's Premier event. Mm. Uh, just forget the fact that it's, you know, it's the Australian Open. It's. Is it just me or is this a really, really delicate time in the game there are so many balls in the air at the moment in golf in in big important stuff with the distance report with the 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 um premier golf league stuff with the tv rights negotiations going on with the pga tour now with the stuff that's come out in that no laying up interview with peter costas there's golf in 20 years is going to look very 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 different depending what happens in the next six months is it not clates do you think at the top level, well, if, if the Premier League gets off the ground and they sign Tiger Woods and forty-eight blokes who want to go off and get richer than they already are, then yeah, it's going to be a whole lot different. It'll be, it'll be a brave, it'll be a bizarre new world if that happens. And what if they don't? I still think the game's going to change fundamentally at that top level, even if the Premier Golf League doesn't get off the ground. Do you think? Well, what, sorry, Rod, you go. Well, I was just going to ask Rod. Do, do you think it'll shift the PGA Tour more towards some of these? The forty interesting concept. Well, the so it'll be a wake-up call for them. The 48 targeted players are the key. Well, Tiger Woods is really the key. That's how much influence he has. If he says yes to the Premier Golf League, it goes ahead whether Rory says no or not. If he says no, then it doesn't go ahead, so he'll be key. But what the PGA Tour really need to do in this what's essentially a political fight is convince Tiger he should stay with them and those other 47 players would also go. So what they've got to say to those 48 is, the reason not to go is not just that you'll lose your PGA Tour status, but it's also because we've instituted this new thing where the top 50 get more access to more of the money, which is all that they're offering. And it doesn't come from Saudi Arabia, so there's a couple of ticks there. If it's just the bottom line that's going to drive the players, they'll stay with what's easy. Because, of course... The relationship is symbiotic. For all the complaining players can do about how there's this whole bottom half of the tour that drag down the top half and that's the top half that keeps them afloat, and I can see that there might be some some sense in some of what they say. At the end of the day, if you said to the players, organise your own tournaments, well, that'd be it. Golf would end. Yep. Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods have got no interest, capacity, yep. no knowledge about how the hell you would actually put on a golf Something tournament. like this comes along and it looks attractive because sure. it's different to what you're, you're 
tied to yeah. at the moment. It's it goes a, for it's a, a year choice. and folds. Yeah, I mean, exactly. when the money's coming from Which Saudi Arabia, how reliable you is get that? about it? Like you sure. see this in football leagues all the yeah, time that they they come night. up and then they mm. they go away after a couple of years, and it it's this like asterisk on the record books, which is yeah. a real little bump in history. But it all comes out of I, I think William Blake said, uh, "I must create my own system or be enslaved by another." I think he was talking about religion. But it's it's a great Which quote. The, well, we're talking about something far more important here, Adrian. This is golf. But it, that, <laughs> you see that occur time and again. I must I must create my own system or be enslaved by another, and uh, that's I think a motivation for these things always being a possibility. Like it just needs somebody to ignite the the fire, and and you get this discussion occurring again and again in every sport and every part of life. Really, I'm no cricket fan. I'm not sure, Clates. You probably know more about cricket than I do. People often point to the whole World Series breakaway thing with Kerry Packer back in the 70s, yep. 70s, yep. 80s, where he created the, effectively what Premier Golf League's talking about. The difference obviously being that the players at that time were legitimately underpaid and genuinely unhappy with the whole system, so they were more prone to be wooed away. Ultimately, I don't know, was that good for cricket? It was probably good for the administration of cricket, ultimately. The, the product has grown and become bigger and better for want of a better term, I suppose, since that. Would golf survive a similar schism, which is what this is? I'm not sure. Well, well the problem with cricket was that was Dennis Lilly and Rod Marsh and, and Greg Chappell were selling out the MCG on Boxing Day and getting paid yes. $2,000 for the, for, the, for the week. Yeah, and It was an outrage that Bradman and the cricket board were you know, just basically not paying the, the players. That was the Ryder Cup, the players, wasn't it? Really? The players had no voice because if they walked away, they just, they'd just pick another team. Yeah. So, I mean, that was what Packer did was right for, it was right for the picking. Of course, Packer just wanted the TV rights. Yes, that's right. You know, because the ABC had a black and white camera at one end of the ground and it was a pretty state-old coverage. So he, so he certainly revolutionised the, the, the coverage of cricket and the players got paid right. properly. It's Which not- is what doesn't happen, given how much money Augusta, for one, makes during that week. The players are, which was Haney's argument, the players are grossly underpaid. Oh, they pay for $10 million, $12 million prize money at Augusta. When, why aren't they playing for 30 given how much money Augusta make that week? Yeah. Yeah, not to mention <laughs> the resources Augusta's got. They've got some overheads. To- no. <laughs> They've got a lot of they've got a lot of because they've got to keep to lengthening buy. the golf course. Yeah, have to. <laughs> so they can continue to host uh, to host the tournament. I suppose you, if there is this reality that, that that some of the top players in the game feel they're underpaid because two thousand bucks a week for the cricketers back in the seventies probably wasn't bad money compared to blokes driving buses. I imagine, Clates. Um, what happens to the Ryder Cup eventually? Which is exactly the scenario you just outlined. The players get nothing to take part in one of the biggest sports shows in the world every two years. I know they get a bit of charity money now, donations to make to their charities, but in an environment where the Premier Golf League becomes a potential reality, are they are they eligible for the Ryder Cup, those players? Good point. Don't know. Ruins the Ryder Cup if they're not, obviously. And it ruins everything if they go away. Except their own bank account and their own Probably, even, I mean, does it ruin their legacy? I don't know. Who knows? I would think it would certainly stain it. It's an asterisk. It's an asterisk against everything. If, it's like if, Super League in Australia. It was yeah. it was a weird time. You, you know, but, the people who won know, the premierships in both of the leagues that were happening in Australia at that time were they real premierships? I don't know. It's having said that, 
if they said, we're going to go to rollback equipment and we're going to go to the, here's a list of golf courses and it's Royal Melbourne and it's Sandale and it's Marion and it's a list of the 18 best courses in the world and 18 great cities and, you know, they're playing with proper equipment and everyone goes, well, this is amazing. How much better is this? I mean, that's where the PGA Tour miss out, I think, is that their practice is actually lots of weeks. It's actually not very, in terms of the things we care about, it's actually rubbish. They play boring golf courses and the ball goes way too far and it's a driver wedge fest. And if someone wanted to address that, then that would be a great thing. But, you know, is the support of geeks like us enough to keep it going? I'll be honest, I still wouldn't jump on board with it because I think the fundamental concept is what, and the money coming from Saudi Arabia is a fairly... Yeah, it's a horrific concept, yeah. Notion as well. and, And the other... Well, we're just a bunch of money guys in London. I mean, one day the blokes, I mean, blokes like that blew the world up in 2007, didn't they? Yes. The financial and, crisis. And, you know, it's a, profited uh, magnificently from it, as it yeah, turns out, yeah. in the longer term. I guess that's clumsily what I was trying to suggest earlier, is that potentially the saviour of the PGA Tour might be the rollback. The USGA and the RNA have the power, should they want to, to side with the PGA Tour kill off the Premier Golf League on the on the basis that you accept the rollback, the local rule on the PGA Tour. And in that way, we'll give exemptions to PGA Tour players and European Tour players into the US Open and the Open, not to the Premier Golf League players. Right. That's a bargaining chip. Wow. That's pretty significant. So in an Did you just come way, up with that, Rod? Or I came up with it about 20 minutes ago and everybody missed what I was saying because I think I put it wrongly. But to me, that there's a potential there for that to be the case. So if you said to the Premier Golf League as the USJ and the RNA, no exemptions into our tournaments. In fact, players who play in your league, actually, no, they could qualify. That'd be interesting. I can see Rory just, going off just to paint a picture for the listeners. Rod's got a cork board with yeah. a bunch of <laughs> I've got bunch two, of red string. Two large ethnic hands <laughs> waving around the air. Here is what I've got. But that, I think that's a that that is a possibility. Who knows? That might become. A possibility. Speaking of the distance insider report, just quickly, I'm sure you read the Titleist document, Clates, or Kushnet, more correctly. I kind of did. I just, no, I'm not that interested in what they say, really. I just, it's just, it's just spin and you know, grow the fairways longer and just deny everything. And you know, it's like reading a document from a cigarette company for me who deny that smoking causes cancer. I'm just not interested in their spin. I don't, I don't think he said that, to be fair. Um, I'm just searching for the word fairway and rough in the document. Um, There's been a lot of use made of those graphs and charts that are in the Distance Insights report that I can't make head nor tail of because I am mathematically challenged. I see a lot of graphs and points and plot points. There's been more. been an awful lot of it on Twitter as well, but I can't make head nor tail of it. But they seem to have used some of that to make some points about What does it say, Adrian? I think you've got the thing there. In fairness, we need to put that that side of the story, even though well, we I, think it's wrong. I, I like reading the other side. I think it's, well, it's important, isn't it? It is important. Yeah, it is. And, and, and you have to take your find... opinions out like Brandall says and beat them with a broom occasionally to make sure they stand up to it? Well, yeah, or well, not quite as often as Brandall <laughs> does. But, um, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, a, a distinguishing feature of the great minds of the world is the ability to change your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think it starts with trying to find common ground. There, there's this concept of the... Uh, and this is one of like twenty sort of articles I've half written, which I'll never probably get out there. But there's this sort of you know narcissism of small differences where, you know, if you met David Ma, this CEO, didn't know who he was, mm-hmm. you met him on the first tee of your local golf club and played golf with him, you 
you would have far more in common than oh, absolutely than you've got differences yep. about things. And if you just look around your playing partners any given weekend, it's probably the same deal. Like there's, if you press them on certain issues, you would be horrified by what you would find. Oh yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, your, your golfers, you've got an awful lot in common, and the Venn diagram of people who want to leave things the same and people who want to roll back would be almost 100% overlap. It would be like 99% overlap with how they think about what they enjoy about golf. You've got a lot in common with like Somebody who loves equipment, I'm interested in what's in their bag. I I don't like pour over magazines to look at what I want to buy, but I still want to look in somebody. I'd love to look in um, Rick Shields' bag or Rick Young's bag and see what the latest thing is and take it out of their bag and have a hit with it. And that, that'd that be fun for me too. Um, so there's just so much in common, but, uh, you know, you get entrenched in these positions where there's some, there's some prize to, to win mm-hmm. and uh, people just dig in and you forget about this common ground. And it's all about, it's, it's all about winning this competition over this one or 2% difference in opinion that you have over these people. So, it's a difficult, but it's a classic confrontation as well. It's human, um, isn't it? In it's that, it's, it's human it's, nature. It's like Australia and New Zealand. It's, yeah. <laughs> everything. it's more important than obviously. Uh, is, um, yeah. And uh, th- this document is well written. Um, it's actually... Which is it, not a surprise. It, They've got access to a lot of resources. I, I'm a little bit surprised because it's a corporate document. It's, a, it's the output from some corporate machine. And it's been finally, like every little aspect of it's gone over with a fine tooth comb and but it hasn't come out with all corporate waffle words and things no. it's it, it's a little bit better than that um so I, it's also it's not it's obvious that it's not a hundred percent david ma who drafted it and published it there, there's surprised, yeah. um there's a hell of a lot of departments that this has gone through at akushnet but I, I give them credit that it's actually come out the other end without too much waffle in it um, but actually, does it say a lot? No. It, it sort of positions itself similarly to the Distance Insights report itself, where it doesn't really come up with any solutions. It's just sort of saying, okay, yeah, we recognise these are the, the terms of the debate that we're going to have. and uh, They leave themselves open to continue being part of it, which do. is important. Yeah. No, nobody's closed off avenues of discussion or negotiation, That's right. point, which is important. And they're just saying that our baseline position at the moment is that everything seems to be working with the status quo. And it is, and it is for them. Yeah, it, it is for them. And this gets back to what we discussed last week or the week before where we are talking about the way these corporations operate on fear and there's a fear that if you upset the market, if you upset a market where they're currently dominant, they're obviously going to fight that. And at a certain point, companies get big enough to be run by accountants and that's exactly yeah. the sort of reaction an accountant's going to have. Um, whereas an R and D focused company is just going to go, oh well, we'll just we'll meet this new challenge and yeah. we'll, we'll still produce the best product. Could be quite exciting, couldn't it? As a an engineer at one of the ball companies to try to engineer a ball that doesn't go as far, but ha- offers some other performance upgrade that you can then give to the marketing department to sell to golfers. And unfortunately, I I see nothing of that in this statement. So for me, it's more what this statement's missing than anything else, and it's it, it's this it's all. Like, it has gone through the accounting department, I can guarantee you that. Of course. And, and they've instructed it to be, 
oh no, stick with what the status quo is. We don't want the market to change. We're, we're happy with the, how the market is at the moment. This to me is the most dangerous argument is that science has gone as far as it can. There'll be no more distance. Yeah, which is, which is just, you know, you know that there are 14 year old kids out there who are going to come out in six years' time. Swing at 135 miles now, and the ball's going to go 380 yards. And Cameron Champ's already norm, doing it. He'll be the norm. That's right. You know, this is the we we believe the conclusions drawn in this report undervalue the skill and athleticism of today's very best players. Well, the best players were always skillful and athletic, and focus too much on the top of the men's professional game and project this onto golf and golfers as a whole. Isn't that the fear campaign that they're going to take your Yardage away. Yes. When this, the, the report said there's a chance to bring in a local rule, which you assume that the two opens would bring in, and if the, if the PJ Tour want to follow, great. No one's talking about taking your 30 yards away from the bloke who swings at 90 miles an hour. Right. He's not going to lose 30 yards anyway. But you know, it, it's this fear that they're coming for your guns and they're coming for your 30 yards. You know, it's a typical American reaction to. You know, just muddy the waters and make everyone scared that they're coming after you when the report didn't say any of the kind. No, I mean, the report quite rightly pointed out what the average driving distances were and they're quite low, which in itself, of course, is problematic because we all know that the reality of, and this is, Ian Andrew makes this point regularly as a golf course architect, that an awful lot of the work he does is related to safety because there is a, there is a not insignificant percentage of every golf club membership in the world that hits the ball Distances that are dangerous for the proportions of the courses they're playing on, and that's that's a well, well, that, that's a you know, the, down the track discussion. My own personal feeling is that the first thing you do is bifurcate the game, and then you look at the potential for rollback more broadly beyond that. But I don't. I think if you don't start at the top, you can't start because that fear argument will win. If you put it to a vote, golfers would not vote for a rollback because they're they're afraid of their own potential loss in the whole thing. Which is why someone needs to do the, the test. You know, seventy miles an hour to one thirty every every mile an hour. How much are you losing? And that's what so, the RNA. So you're, actually de- yep. so you're dealing with facts, not yeah. RNA and USGA need position. to do that. That's right, because they're the ones who sort of maybe that's what's what's planned. So yeah, I th- I, I, now this is kind of you know, golf is bringing younger players into the game sooner. Was well, that true? Who says that? And keeping older players longer than ever. Well, we're keeping older players longer than ever because people are living longer. Partly, I'm, that's I'm not even sure. Players, I'm not even not. sure if that's true. Isn't the reality of the golf statistics of the last twenty years that as many people give it away as take it up each year? Yeah. So the numbers are static. I mean, and professional golf is as dynamic as entertaining as it's ever been. Was well, that true too? No, is no. it more dynamic and entertaining than when Jack and Trevino and those guys were playing Miller and Weisskopf in the golden age of the tour in the seventies? The game remains a healthy challenge for all players at all levels. Well, that's true, but no one's no one's threatening to take your balls and clubs away. Yep. No. no uh, yeah. I, 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 well, no surprise. I think we all agree and can see the the flaws that we see in the argument. You can see what they're trying to craft there, and for the only moderately interested golfer, there's a number of arguments in there that would seem compelling. And in fact, there are a surprising number of pretty intelligent people seem to be swayed by arguments in there that are fairly easily deconstructed. I feel regardless of which side you're on, that just don't don't stack up to, you know, sort of serious yeah, and questioning. And stupid the report shows that hitting distance on the PGA Tour decreased in six of the past 13 years, including 2019. Hmm. Well, you know, everyone knows that the 
brought the crazy jump was in two, 2000 with the Pro-V. That's classic. I mean, go, you know, well, go back to 1995 change. and yeah. tell me what happened. You know, I mean, just... Picking the data from the last thirteen years is completely irrelevant and, and completely disingenuous. You know, we had graphite. Similar that is to climate change arguments, isn't yeah. it? Just cherry yeah, picking just, a stat yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. So Shackleford said, "I guess we're going to ignore the increase years." <laughs> well, it's not, well, it's not just that. I mean, if that's true, then why is the fifth hole at Augusta National now forty yards longer than it was two years ago? You know, why yeah, is you why know, is Augusta Dan, National uh, nearly a thousand yards longer than it was twenty five years ago? Well, and, and why is the old course in Santa has got five tees, five, 12, five. 12, 12 or thirteen tees, where rather than walking straight across from the green to the next tee, you walk back into the right by fifty or sixty yards. The problem so, the know, problem just, is so staggering when you think of Augusta, like, because it is that much longer, but still, you very rarely saw anybody hit. Uh, a mid iron into the fifteenth, like Norman, I think one year hit um, hit like a seven iron because he drove it past a crosswalk, which was ridiculous in eighty seven. Th- which would have been akin to Bubba Watson's drive on, uh, on thirteen that year, which was an incredible achievement. Exactly. Yeah, I, I want to see that. Exactly. <laughs> Good on Bubba, it's but an it was outlier. such an outlier, though. Yeah. Um, most people in that same tournament in eighty seven are still hitting long irons and three woods into fifteen, and. But now nobody ever hits, even with the extreme lengthening of the entire golf course. And again, it's us that misses out. And just to bring this back to Bonville, and we'll we'll shut it down now that we've gone complete circle, one of the great joys of watching the golf at Bonville over the past week was that all of the par fives, even those that were reachable, required fairway wood shots. All of the players were hitting, and it's a thing of beauty to watch, a well-struck three wood by a professional golfer. Uh, into a green. We saw some fabulous shots into the seventh hole there. Uh, there were 14th was unreachable for most. Van Dam managed to knock it on there. But again, I wish I'd been there and seen that. Who doesn't want to watch Ann Van Dam rip a three-wood into the heart of a green on a par five? Mm-hmm. When's the last time It's much we... less interesting seeing a hit eight-iron into well, of, a par four. Of course it, it like... isn't. And, as, and this is what I keep trying to say to people. As fans, we are robbed. Fans in the 60s and 70s and 80s got to watch Jack Nicholas toss up between a three-wood and a one-iron to carry that water at the 15th at Augusta National every year. And Seve and Norman all had to hit long irons and sometimes fairway woods. Fouled on the 13th at uh, Augusta. Exactly, between the five-wood and the two-iron. We don't see that anymore, Clates. We lose. Yep. Players don't care. I mean, you know, the most exciting shot on 15 in the last five years was Leishman's hook around the trees with a (laughs) five-iron, which was fantastic to watch, but that should have been a three-wood. Or a forward, God forbid. Yeah, that, that one on Nicholas hit in seventy-five. That you know, and that tiny old um, McGregor blade of one mm. on he used to hit. That was a staggering shot. Yep. The sound it made as well was amazing. Yeah, that just, shot and the, the power and the athleticism in that swing. I mean, tell me, players weren't athletic. Well, just go back and you know, if people haven't watched it, just go on YouTube the seventy-five US Masters and watch that shot. Jackets mm. into this. You know, the 15th hole, oh, it's incredible. It's also the People tension. remember the putt, but that, that shot was the putt on 16. But yeah. the putt yeah. it's, it's the tension leading up to that as well for the, for the spectators and those on board. I remember last year at Bonville, Madeline Sagstrom on Saturday afternoon uh, stood on the 18th. There, and the 18th there requires a three-wood from the top of the hill, down the hill, across the water to a green that sits in an odd fashion. But it's, if you hit a good second shot that you can make three... I think she was two in front at the time. She'd made three there. The tournament would essentially be over because she was the class player in the field 
and the fourth round she would have had a four-shot lead, and you would have thought, not a done deal, but it would have been a huge statement to the rest of the field, last group of the day. We had to stand and wait for the green to clear. It was the most mesmerising five minutes of golf of the year for me to be standing there with, you could feel the wind, you could see the shot in front of her, you had the light, you, she's standing there leaning on the three-wood. You just you can't wait to see what's going to happen. Now, if she's 40 yards down the hill with an eight iron in hand, it's interesting, but it's not that. Mm. And as it turned out, she blew it right, only made par, didn't win the tournament on Sunday. But that those little individual moments you miss out on. When Norman's, sta- when, you know, when Norman's standing in the fairway, leaning on his one iron, waiting for the green to clear, you're in the gallery, you're saying to your mates, oh, I can't watch this, this is going to be fantastic. You just don't get that with a six or seven or eight iron. So we miss out, I think is the point. I've made it clumsily there, but I think that's the point. So, so uh, there you go. All that uh, will still be points of discussion next week, the week after, and I'm guessing probably in about 10 years. So we look forward to being a part of that discussion the whole time. It's been good to have you as a part of the discussion today, Mike Clayton, as it always is. Thank you for uh, for joining us. Look forward to catching Thank you, up you soon. Great Enjoyed to have you. And Adrian Logue, always great to chat with you and lovely to have you in the studio. With oh, You didn't have a pickle today, just the small cappuccino. You've switched. Do you want, do you want an update on the coffee yes, situation? Yes, yeah. what is the coffee well, situation? I'm, I was drinking piccolos for a while, you but were. I decided that most cafes can't pour a decent coffee either. Ah. But it, they were exposed by my selection <laughs> piccolo of, experiment. of piccolo. <laughs> and so now, often, more often than not, I, I just, I'm just reverting to what can they not stuff up and like I'll have a hot chocolate or something. The PGA tour of coffees, the yeah. flat white. Unless I've, <laughs> unless I've got extreme confidence in a cafe, I'm just going to, I'm not even going to let them make a coffee that'll touch my lips. So hot chocolate you've switched to? Hot chocolate. In the summer? I don't, I don't, I go there in the don't winter. Care. It's not, I've, you know. You're not proud of it, are you? I can tell. <laughs> it's a shame. Good to have you on board, mate. Thank it's you not me, it. it's them. It's not me, it's you. Uh, Good, good. Episode 20 in the books. Thanks for joining. Hope, you still, uh, hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed talking. And we will, of course, be back to do it all again next week here on the Good, Good Golf Pod. Oh, is it Book Club next week? It when is, are you recording It is that? indeed. I think I said it was this week. It's all week. top. Well, we're recording tomorrow. Okay. So if we can get the editing done. Oh, you're looking at me for that, are you? Then <laughs> it'll be next week's episode. Okay. It'll be the Book Club, the World Atlas of Golf. World Atlas. You would have read that, Clates. I wrote some of that. Yep. Yeah. Oh, you wrote some? Well, for one oh, of the one of the later editions. I wrote the Australian and New Zealand section in the latest one, but the latest one, which Rand Morris had helped put together, is um, is great because it's got every course in the world that should be in it. I've seen that. It's got a section at the back which has like a, just a way of pouring every course in there. I'm calling an end to this, and we're going to continue yep. the discussion. Yeah, yep. you, the listener, are gone. We're going to sit and continue. Bye bye. <laughs>